Welcome to Digging Deeper, a podcast of the Glendale Road Church of Christ. I am Stephen Hunter, the minister of the Glendale Road Church of Christ, and I welcome you. Last week we started talking about angels, and talking about angels and celestial beings. This week we're going to talk exclusively about Satan. Where did he come from? How did he become who he was, etc., so forth. Now, there are two passages in Scripture, and I'm going to be sure to qualify that in the context of these passages, it doesn't seem like the author was speaking about Satan. However, when you listen to the descriptions, one of the things that you notice is the description could not speak about any earthly person, even though that's what the immediate context is about. The first passage is Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 15, which reads, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn! How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low! You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I'll raise my throne above the stars of God. I'll sit on the mount of assembly, on the heights of Zaphon. I will ascend to the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you were brought down to Sheol, to the depths of the pit. Now, when you back up just a little bit, you understand in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 3 and 4, Isaiah's talking about the king of Babylon. So why would somebody take these few verses and say, well, this is speaking about Satan? Well, from this passage, we comprehend why Satan is often referred to as Lucifer, despite Isaiah stating that he wrote this about the king of Babylon. Now, in the first half of the third century AD, a theologian by the name of Origen acknowledged the context of Isaiah's passage But he stated that no human being is ever said to have fallen from heaven as Isaiah recorded. From this and other points, Origen suggested that the person under discussion could not have been exclusively the king of Babylon. This person was Satan, and Origen links Isaiah's fallen from heaven reference to what Jesus said in Luke 10.18, Behold, I see Satan fallen from heaven like lightning. In Isaiah's passage, Origen saw a deeper meaning than the original context of the verses, which early Christians were often given to doing. For example, you read the Gospel of Matthew. One example in the Gospel of Matthew is when he links Isaiah 7.14, the birth, the virgin birth of Jesus, with what Isaiah wrote. But when you read that in Isaiah's passage, uh, rather, in Isaiah's context, he was likely not referring to Jesus, but he was referring, some would argue, Hezekiah. So, uh, how did Matthew take, copy, and paste and apply that to Jesus? You have uh, an, an interpretive idea where you, you, you look at the micro and the macro. The micro is the immediate context. The macro is the big picture. So anyway, the allegorical interpretation of the scriptures is seen in origin and early Christian writers. And you can also note that it didn't originate with Christian interpreters. 
because the philosopher Philo, who lived from 25 BC to AD 50, he was popular. He was known for popularizing the allegorical interpretation of Scripture. Okay, so let's get back to the devil. The devil, while evil, by the way, devil comes from diabolos. We get diabolical. Um, literally means slanderer. So, the devil, while evil, was just like all other created beings. He was capable of good only because created beings, such as angels and humanity, have the ability to choose to do well, but the adversary didn't. He had freedom of will, but wouldn't recognize good and virtue, but chose evil. So Origen wrote that Satan had once walked in God's paradise between the cherubim. Therefore, once upon a time, he suggests Satan was good. He wrote that he had adduced from the prophets this truth, that is, Origen. Given his reference to the garden, which was paradise, and to cherubim, Origen then moves from Isaiah's passage to Ezekiel 28, verses 11 through 15. Now this, in its micro-context, is speaking about the king of Tyre. T-Y-R-E. Some people say Tyre, Tyre, whatever. So, Ezekiel 28, verses 11 through 15. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me. Mortal, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre, or Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, carnelian, chrysolite, moonstone, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald, and worked in gold were your settings and your engravings. On that day, on the day that you were created, they were prepared. With an anointed cherub as a guardian, I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked among the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from that day that you were created until iniquity was found in you. So we must also hold that since Origen saw a greater truth in Isaiah's passage that he would see the same in Ezekiel's passage. Uh, let's see here. Now the verse in Ezekiel was also a passage that the early church theologians held to be descriptive of Satan's fall. Now the earliest citation linking this Ezekiel passage to Satan, Satan's fall is from a... Uh, is from a theologian, African theologian, Tertullian of Carthage, and he wrote that around A.D. 200, give or take. So, writing in the mid-fourth century, Cyril of Jerusalem read this passage, and he concluded that Satan was once an archangel based on the description of the figure Ezekiel uh, that Ezekiel gave. Now, later, Gregory the Great agrees that the angel under discussion here is an archangel. Now here's something that I got to point out. When we read the New Testament, the only archangel we ever read of is Michael. There are other texts, uh, non-scriptural texts, non-canonical texts, that mention multiple, uh, multiple archangels. For example, I believe Gabriel is mentioned as an archangel. There's Uriel and and uh, uh, various others. So they're probably working not just from 
the canon of scripture, but from a vast majority as uh, a vast majority of texts, including scripture. So the argument goes that though he was an archangel, he became Satan by becoming God's adversary. And remember, Satan, Satan, means adversary. Now, towards the end of the 4th century, Ambrose of Milan used this passage uh, to communicate that Satan was once in Eden, gar uh, the, the garden of God. Now, despite Ezekiel clearly speaking about the king of Tyre, Ambrose believed that the king of Tyre stood for the devil. So, before the first quarter of the 5th century, uh, Jerome and Augustine also saw Ezekiel, uh, Satan in Ezekiel's verses. So, nowadays we use an interpretive method that's called the historical critical method. So, when we examine Isaiah and Ezekiel's verses, we would utterly dismiss the ancient Christian interpretation held of these two passages. But the ancient church, the earlier church, saw in these verses a greater truth in the immediate context. And that was that Satan was once sinless but gave himself over to vanity and pride. So from these two prophets and the interpretations assigned uh, to the passages, Satan was believed in the early church to be an archangel, blameless, in Eden from creation, and eventually rebelled. Now the name Lucifer uh, literally means day star, and the scriptures demonstrate that stars were often communicated to have been angels in certain contexts. For example, Job 38, verse 7, Revelation 12, 3 and 4. Now, Satan's station was exalted and high, but he relinquished that when he sinned. Uh, and these other two passages indicate, as well as the words of Jesus in Luke 10, that he was cast from heaven. So, we might be prone to think that his only sin was pride. However, there's more to the story when you read deeper and understand what birthed his pride. So, the earliest source with a clue to Satan's fall is not so much Isaiah or Ezekiel, uh, but the interpretation Tertullian ascribed to these two verses. Now, let's see here. We're going to keep going down this rabbit hole. Now, there are explicit references to Satan's fall from apocryphal writings and pseudepigraphal writings. Uh, what do those words mean? Apocrypha means hidden. Those are those extra books that our Catholic and Orthodox neighbors have in their Old Testaments. Pseudepigraphal or pseudepigraphical, that's a word, uh, <clears throat> false writings, or they're, they're, let's say somebody wrote a letter in my name and they signed it in my name, but I had no knowledge of it, that would be a pseudepigraphal letter. They, they falsely attributed to me the words in that letter. Now, in the first century BC, there's a work called The Wisdom of Solomon, and we read in that work that God created man in his own image. Uh, an image defined in the wisdom of Solomon as immortality and eternity. But death came into the world because the devil envied man, and the angels align with the devil, tempt humanity as a consequence. So why did Satan envy man? 
if we take these other writings to try to draw a large story. Well, there's a writing written in the first century AD. It's called The Life of Adam and Eve. And this likely reflects what some early Christians and Jews believed. So I'm not saying you have to believe it. I'm only saying here's what many of them may have believed based on these writings. So the first human's life after being cast from Eden until their deaths is what's written about in the life of Adam and Eve. Now, in this work, Satan spoke to Adam and told him that when God created humanity in his image and likeness, Michael, the archangel, beckoned him and all the other angels to, to worship humanity because humanity bore the very image and likeness of God. It wasn't that man was to be worshipped, but the image of God in man was to be given honor. So, Satan resisted doing this. He didn't want to bow down before Adam because he says that Adam was inferior and younger than him in the creation order and ranking. If anything, in this letter or this writing, Satan believed Adam should worship him since he had existed before man was created. Now, as other angels heard this reasoning, they joined him, Satan, and refused to worship the image and likeness of God represented in humanity. So it's at this point that Satan said he'd set his seat above the stars of heaven and would be like God. Now that's verbiage reminiscent to Isaiah's passage. At this point, God banished Satan and his followers and other rebellious angels from heaven, and they were cast to earth. So Revelation chapter 12 verses 7 through 9 may give us a little bit of insight into that. And that may very well line up with what Christ told his 70 disciples in Luke 10 that he saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. But the story goes on. And Satan says that because of being cast from God's presence, he decided to entrap Eve. He had caused Adam and Eve to be expelled from the garden just as he had been driven from his glory in heaven. So the early church taught this as the origin and fall of Satan. Now, while pride is often cited as his sin, we have to conclude that the source of his pride was that he believed himself to be better than humanity, and his sense of pride led him to rebel and attempt to usurp the highness of God. Now, if we think of it in these terms, when we read in 1 John 3, 8 that the devil has sinned from the beginning, we might assume that John's beginning uh, could be understood as our creation. Uh, since our beginning he sinned and pride is the trap that he fell into, so we also ought to be careful to avoid, uh, to avoid pride. Paul, writing to Timothy that a bishop ought not to be a novice, lest with pride he falls into the same condemnation as the devil, 1 Timothy 3.6. So pride over having been created in the image and likeness of God <clears throat> and the esteem it brought to the host of heaven, if we take all these writings and put them together, uh, those factors led the devil to be no, known as how we know him today. So, now downcast from heaven, he appears to Eve as a serpent. And, uh, let's see, the serpent beguiles Eve. And as we go along, let's see here. Here's something to, well, let me back up. Here's something to think about. <clears throat> What's possible is that the sort of serpent that Satan appeared as may have actually been an angelic creature. 
Now, linguistically, the Hebrew term translated as serpent in Genesis 3.1 and in Isaiah 6.1 is seraphim, angelic creatures in God's heavenly court. And they're synonymous. Uh, let, me, let me rephrase that. I'm, Genesis 3.1, let's see. The serpent, so in Genesis 3.1, Nahash is the word. Uh, in Isaiah 6.1, seraphim is the word. And sometimes these words are used synonymously. For example, in Numbers 21, verses 6 through 9, the vipers uh, that bit the children of Israel, uh, the word seraph is used there because it, it, the, uh, the venom burned. So we read the Christian belief that Satan would transform himself into an angel of light in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, And that may have been what he did to deceive humanity. In Genesis 3.1, whatever he did and however he appeared, this serpent is identified by early Christian teaching as Satan and the devil. And we read that in Revelation 12.9. But one thing that we note, he did not work alone, but he had help, and he had help from his own angels. So next week, we will look at the rise of demons. So hopefully you found this interesting, intriguing, and if you have any questions, comments, rebuttals, subtractions, additions, all that stuff, uh, well, reach out and give us a contact. Have a good rest of your day.